is Gus Horse Podcast. Podcast. Yeah. So we've had a bit of a break, haven't we? Yes, we have. Yeah. It could be 37. Sure, we'll go with that. So how you been? I've been pretty good. There was a film festival. There's been birthdays. There's been sicknesses. There's been all sorts of stuff. And there's been... Uh, lawsuits and not to us, but (laughs) I guess I'm reflecting more on the current state of uh, cinephilia in late 2017 where another day, another three heroes accused of sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, And that's on my mind a bit as we get to this uh, movie marathon here. Um, But before we get too far into this, should we talk about what the movie marathon is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're fast approaching what is uh, typically one of the high points of uh, my year and probably yours too, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a 24-hour movie marathon, um, usually organised by Ant Timpson and co. Um, yeah. Although Ant uh, claims to have taken a back seat this year, um, but we don't know exactly quite what the thing is here, but it'll be happening at the uh, Hollywood Cinema, as it has for many a year. Yeah. Yeah, um, Auckland's uh, perennial. I think this is the 18th uh, annual one. Yeah. Um, Although I think the first few were uh, overnighters, and it's gradually expanded uh, to 24 hours, or in some cases 25 or 26, depending (laughs) on how... uh, People are feeling, and yeah, um, it's my favorite time of the year. And we did a podcast about this four or five years ago, something back with Nigel. And uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and I suppose the main difference this year is that over the last few years, the um, lineups have been on lockdown. Yeah, uh, and so we can't really talk about them. And um, but I still thought it was worth breaking our uh, podcast fast to talk about this event. And um, I was like, well, how do we talk about it if we? Well, we can't, can't actually, talk about yeah. it, <laughs> and we can't actually. You know, you never know what the program is going into it. So right, yeah, the program is always secret. Mm. So um, if any uh, film that we discuss during this plays, it's purely, purely coincidental. Yeah. But um, what I suggested to Jacob, and um, it didn't take him long to come on board, was that we each uh, put on our own hat for if we were programming this year what we would pick and why. Mm. Um, now, we haven't discussed this. Should we go through one person's lineup and the other or go slot by slot? I think back back and forth. Okay, that sounds good. And initially, when Doug proposed this, I had thought, okay, so probably what we want to do is go back and forth, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put together a full program, 14 films a piece, and then we'll, we'll choose half of each. But it was so hard to chop it down <laughs> yeah. that I just uh, will do 14 each. <laughs> yeah, you think, oh, I could have probably only come up with seven. I came up with seven in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. Also, throughout the course of this, I am um, um, with four hours to go to tonight, I suddenly thought I should hit up some friends and, I, you know, maybe we'll see if anyone has anything. And, you know, I got people saying, you know, um, I've been waiting to be asked this question for years. <laughs> I've always thought about what I would play if I got to play a film. So I'll try to mention in... Um, various slots, uh, things that people have mentioned, and if I don't get to them all, I'll get to them at the end. I shudder so. to think how many full programs people like Steve Skeet and uh, and Bevan could uh, program on their own. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 Dave Bro, who's um, a uh, movie marathon historian oh, uh, yes. of sorts, uh, actually sent me an entire program, which I'll uh, <laughs> share at the end, but everybody else I got uh, one uh, one selection from, so... Um, yeah, so let's start at number one. Um, I'll start this one and then we yeah. can go back and forth. Um, one tradition that's not consistent, nothing's quite consistent enough no. to be tradition, but it starts around 2.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. And um, a few years in a row, 
And we should stop and say that most of the films are presented on actual 35. film. Yeah, yeah 35, 35 mil. mil. Um, I've heard rumor there's a 16 mil projector being installed this year. Um, I, I don't know what that, that would mean. Um, but regardless, um, I just that assume that expands the already yeah. ludicrously large choice of selections. Yeah. Um, for new films and occasionally... Uh, some retros. There's DCP. Yeah. Uh, and I think one year where they they had a print that was missing a reel, they did a complicated <laughs> sub in uh, projection. But yeah. Um, but I, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that this is a great event for me is to cel- celebrate celluloid, and so, mm. um, and I think you know one of the genres that looks greatest on celluloid is film noir. Yeah. And so I really wanted to pick a film noir. And initially, I was going to pick Raw Deal or T-Men, which are both um, Anthony Mann, Mann films directed um, with the director of photography, John Alton, that mm. are really... And I haven't seen those films, but um, one of the when you're trying to pick this, it's a mix of favorites and films that you've never seen, but want to be the film that you see for the first yeah. time in optimal conditions that you love. Um, but in thinking about representation and stuff like that, I'm trying to strike a balance. One thing I thought of is like any place I could get a female director in that I, I would try to. And um, actually, in corresponding with Dave, I found out that there's only been two female directors programmed in about 200 films over wow. 17 years. So I didn't, I didn't get... I, and I could have I put together an entire program, program yeah. of those, and I might say some of the ones that I haven't included at the end. But I, in the end, I got three as well as two films that were co-directed by women. And so I think... You know, out of the 14 films that we've selected, that's an estimable percentage. So The Bigamist, number one, Ida Lupino. Um, Ida Lupino is famous as one of the yeah. first uh, female directors in Hollywood, uh, you know, post-World War II. Yeah. Um, she was an actress, made her way into um, directing in The Hitchhiker uh, is probably the slightly more famous film. But yeah. The Bigamist is also, uh, I think, hasn't been seen quite as much, and that's the reason I've picked that one and again just stunning black and white female director supposedly a very strong film and this i won't go any farther past that but that's my thinking so what's your number one pick uh my number one was a similar kind of vein i I hope that came a feeling as well from and it's probably really only from two or three years um where there has been uh a kind of not always noir but often black and white sometimes noir sometimes just like a it's kind of a a tense, yeah. yeah. Um, like another one that's not a noir, but that comes to mind is um, a Lady in a Cage, mm. year, which was um, fantastic. Um, but what I've gone with is I've 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 had a choice of po- two possibilities for this. First one is is a more of a noir parody, um, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, yeah, and that's um, uh, Carl Reiner, I think, um, and it's starring Steve Martin. And what he what he does is he um, it's something I saw I think in cinema when I was a kid, possibly on VHS. Um, my memory is hazy. It came out in '82, um, and it it cuts together um, live footage of Steve Martin shot in black and white, and then cuts it together with actual clips from a whole lot right. of classic noir films. And it but it plays it for parody. Yeah, see, I saw this on cable when I was a kid, oh, yeah. but I hadn't seen any of the noir films. Ah, and so it was yeah. just like this whole sea of reference that yeah, just yeah. flew over my head. And I'm probably in a similar place, and so seeing it with 
the um, hindsight now of having seen a bunch more action noir, it would be quite interesting. The other one that came to mind was a, more of a classic, which is uh, Le Samurai, um, which is obviously the 60s, but it's Melville, it's Alain Delon. Um, and it's such a good film. You've yeah, seen it? Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's fantastic, but it's also the 50th anniversary this year of that, right. uh, of that film, so I thought that could be a good you know yeah and it has a noirish feel. yeah and even even though it's color it feels quite yeah. black and white, white it's yeah. a muted like, tone yeah and, yeah it's yeah. very muted very very gorgeous film i'll go to the first guest selection which is um oh, yeah. becca barnes who uh didn't specify a time slot but she suggested another black and white glorious gem oh, yeah. for any possible time which would be uh charles lawton's night of the hunter oh yeah and um yeah. which you know is um that would robert mitchell's yeah um you know historic uh Battle of Love and Hate performance and the two kids and I I love that film and I think mm. that would be a great um, set up right on the that. journey yeah. yeah so what are you following up your number one punch with there okay so I'm I'm jumping into um, some late seventies kind of um, I'm yeah I'm not sure if you call it B grade kitsch thing but um, a film called Odds and Evens which is um, by a chap called I can't remember his first name actually but it's Corbucci Sergio Corbucci Sergio Corbucci yes, yes. and it's a Bud Spencer and Terence Hill film okay. so. For people who don't, don't know, know of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill. You don't know Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill? I don't think so. Well, what I know them from? Um, they Call Me Trinity? Nope. Um, Banana Joe? Are you making these films up? No. I've heard, Super, of, the, I've Super, heard of They Call Me Super. Super, Super Cop? What? I know the Jackie Chan film. Oh, no, no. Different one. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You should have seen the look of shame I just got. Wow. Okay. Uh, maybe this is um, this is this could completely could be, be location. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are like um, Italian, almost like spaghetti westerns, but but they're buddy comedy cop um, films. Well, not not cop. Like they go, they range from westerns to this one's a gambling film. So it's like oh, okay. um, two sort of con men on the lamb traveling around doing gam- gambling scams around Europe, um, and it, it sticks in my mind. Uh, it, it jumped back into my mind actually when I was watching Mad Men a few years ago, mm. and there was this bizarre episode that had um, this sport called. Um, Highline? Well, it sounds like mm. Highline when you say it, but it's yeah, about it has J-A-I, yeah, with, with yeah. the weird rackets, and it's a European thing that came to the States for a while. And I was like, I haven't seen this sport since Odds and Evens. And Melissa was like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> and she hadn't seen yeah, it either, Yeah, so I, of course I looked yeah. it up, and, and, and I found a, a, a version with no um, subtitles. Um, <laughs> because normally they were all dubbed, but they right, played yeah. this series of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill films, which are not their... their, their English names, versions of their names. Yeah. Um, through New Zealand when I was a kid in the late seventies, early eighties. Right. Um, and there were the kind of films that my parents would drop me and my brother off, and we'd watch the film. It'd be fantastic, and um, we'd have a great time and a bit of a laugh. And then one year we got dro- dropped off to the film, and my brother said, "Ah, oh, yeah, wasn't that good?" And I didn't know what he was talking about because he was a couple of years older than me. And then the next one I went to by myself, and then a couple of films later, I was like, "Ah." Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they appealed to, to kids, I guess, but I, I think they probably have appealed to adults as well. A bit kind of low-budget, cheesy. Right, okay. um, but yeah, it's interesting because kind of I've, I've got my appeal to kids film much later in the... Uh, but the, I, these, these aren't right. kids films, get, right, don't yeah. sort of get me wrong. Is it more like a Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah, 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 that kind yeah. of thing, but, but an Italian version. Every which way but loose. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, very much so. Um, so... Yeah, they just have a, a a strong place in my in my childhood, and so I I have 
but they're sort of obscure enough that probably a lot of people won't have seen them, or will be like, "That's the thing I saw yeah. thirty five years yeah, ago," yeah. and yeah. either it brings back the members. Yeah. Um. Quickly before you move on to your other option, I actually had another Sergio Corbucci movie oh, okay. on my yeah, short yeah. list, which was um very different, which was his Snowbound Western, The Great Silence, mm. which is a gorgeous film mm-hmm. that's been recently restored. Um. You know, Alpine Western, uh, Klaus Kinski, I think. Oh wow. Um. And um. I've only seen it on a very small TV bad DVD, um, and it's, I wish I could have found for a, a place for it, but I had one Western that was non-negotiable that I'll get to a little later, and oh, that yeah. I thought two Westerns might be pushing it. Yeah. But you... Yeah, my, my other option at that or. time slot was um, a kind of classic 80s um, B-grade fantasy film, um, kind of in the vein of we uh, Deathstalker 2. Mmm, um, Deathstalker 2. Yeah. <laughs> which, which was another feature of my childhood. This one is called The Barbarians by Ruggiero, Ruggiero Diodato. Yeah. Um, and it's starring... He's the these... cannibal Holocaust guy, is that right? I or think one so, of those yeah. cannibal films, yeah. And he, um, it's starring these, um, I think, twins called the Barbarian Brothers. Um, well, I don't know what their actual names are, but they were known as Barbarians. And they're this. like muscly kind of is it sort of post-apocalyptic? No, no, it's, it's, oh, no, it's okay. totally um, fantasy, swords and sorcery kind of. Oh right, okay. Um, of the, it's like a cheap Conan knockoff. Um, again, another sort of spaghetti fantasy. Right. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> anything uh, we can make with minimal set direction yeah, in the outdoors. It's, it's like low budget. It's cheesy. It's got um, poor humor. It's it's it's. It really is like low rent Conan. Um, right. But, but with twice the muscle. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds awesome. Um, I would, uh, given the choice, I would follow up with, um, I guess, another like kind of kids tapping into the joy of youth film. And um, I couldn't pick a female director because to the best of my knowledge, no female director has ever directed a Godzilla film. Um, Shameful. But I, um, there's no shortage of choice. There's plenty I've missed. There's plenty I'd love to see again. The one that I chose, though, was Godzilla vs. Hedorah from 1971. Um, it's it's a strong ecological film. It's kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. Adora's a pipe-toking monster. Um, Adam Wingard, who's directing the um, Kong vs. Godzilla movie, oh, yeah. rates it as one of his top five oh, okay. um, ones. And I'm, so, I'm, I'm meant to being quite the Godzilla um, noob, really. Well, I mean, I've, yeah. I've seen... The classic big one or three. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen I've, about four, four or five. I, think I've, I mean, I've seen about eight or nine, and there's like thirty, so it's yeah. not like I'm waves yeah. ahead of you. But that's one that I, I, you know, I have a couple of the box sets, but I don't have that one. Yeah, and um, so it seems like again a perfect chance oh, to yeah. enjoy. And I just love you and know, a perfect fit, yeah. man in suit bashing yeah. the thing. I, I mean, I for a while had super super inframan in the mix as well because that's another favorite um, kaiju Tokyo destruction film, but. Um, you can only pick so many. And I must admit here those. that I that I haven't um, looked at um, director gender at all, and I fear that I shamefully have come up with all men. Well, it's interesting because I asked both men and women to pick, um, and I, you know, all the women as well picked male directors, and I think like it's just one of those things about well, I think you know, for there's marathon. A, there's a there's a kind of a you, you jump into a certain mode of, and so your mind just goes to things that you know, like yeah. or or you just. Or lists of things, or, or various places where you go. Oh, here's some stuff that I haven't heard of. Sure. Um, but well, like I you go, know nothing about it. Yeah, like I found a list mm. of female directors on Letterboxd, and I searched the '70s, and that oh, was like, yeah, uh, there was like 134 films that came up. 
Oh, so maybe 170. And yeah. some of them are like Jean Dielman, which, you know... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's I, not exactly marathon yeah, yeah. But not Yeah, and, and that's the thing is I necessarily haven't necessarily picked, like, if I was to build from the ground up yeah. what a 24-hour movie marathon might be. It's, like, very much in the tradition of yeah. the New Zealand movie marathon. Um, you know, I'm not yeah. going to drop Tarkovsky in there. Yeah, yeah, you know? no. I'm not going to drop Chantal Ackerman. <laughs> but I can imagine, like, programming it for certain people where... Yeah. I, I, you know, even Agnes Varda, I don't think would be a good fit, you know, yeah. and I mean, I love her stuff and I think there's lots that's accessible, but it's not. If I'd thought ahead, I would, might have, um, uh, there was a list, um, that was generated by, what, uh, Alex, the Australian, um, horror film writer, um, Mm. Oh, um, Alex Heller Nicholas. Yeah, Alex yeah. Heller um, uh, for Australian female filmmakers. Yeah, and, and so there was some really good stuff there for um for, oh, for genre she, film. She had an IVF heist movie from the eighties that yeah. I cannot remember the name of. That sounded brilliant. Yeah, and Celia was an, an Australian film that's sort of a coming of age. Yeah, gothic horror that was on that list. And I think that's there the thing com- is there are a few good ones on that list and a whole stack of stuff I'd never heard of. Yeah, there's 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 a whole canon, and then there's these other films that yeah. have often. Been neglected, and there are you know, there's people like Ida Lupino and Doris mm. Wishman and Roberta Finlay who've been you know a bit rescued over time, but yeah, you know, there's others that you know have just really slid through the cracks. And um, I think you could do an amazing all, all female marathon, yeah. you know, get Antonia Bird's uh ravenous in there. So I think, I think there's a lot of institutional and social and just kind of reasons it doesn't happen, and I, I don't think that. Um, it's it's shameful that it well, hasn't exactly yeah. so but much. I think as it more, just, more, I think more effort going into just searching them out, I guess. Yeah, and I think but but I, list, it's easier for a list like this though, where you can just kind of come up with anything, and you don't yeah. actually have to track down a copy of it. <laughs> sure, yeah, and that's another thing too. Is like you know, I can say like let's program these films, but yeah. if you can't get them or whatever, yeah. and you know, when I say only two films have played, I don't know how many. They've tried to get in where the reel's fallen apart. There's also the thing that I think that we talk about this in terms of directors, and that Mm. often very much privileges a traditional power structure about films. And there's lots of films that have strong contributions and are shaped by women on a producerial level or a performance level. You know, I mean, Mommy Dearest is directed by a man, but, but, you know, it is completely dominated by this female... Yeah. performance that feels very out of the control of the director mm. um so i feel like in some ways even the conception of cinematic power is starting at the director and working its way down mm. has itself a structure of sexism that you know like to take a non-gender based example or non-female gender based example um outlaw Vern's book on steven seagal yeah you know he argues that seagal's the actual auteur of those films, films you yeah. know and or the, you know val luton is a um, producer you know those, yeah. that often transcends the director credit and so yeah you get that sometimes yeah. in certain films it's a, it's a long way of saying I, i'm not trying to like you know grind a sword against anybody mm. but i am trying to think of ways to be yeah more well, I inclusive it, I, I think it's uh, commendable yeah um now, number three, um, I actually had a couple people suggest uh, for films for the number three slot. Um, I'll mention uh, our friend uh, Nigel, who uh, helped us out before, um, who mentioned Devil Girl from Mars, uh, who, which he says is a truly lovable film, character, dialogue effects that would fit right at home. I'd have it up early so people remember it. Mm. Um, and also kind of keen to see how a Japanese film would go down despite subtitles would have to go early. Something I hadn't seen, like Graveyard of Honor 
or um, the complete Japanese Showa songbook, um, which are not films that I know at all. No. So, um, but you know, if you're putting together your uh, can't make it but want to do it at home, that might be a uh, mm. good one. And uh, Margaret Joppa suggested one of the. Um, traditional uh, tribute viewings. We'll get into that more later. But uh, the recently deceased George Romero's uh, Season of the Witch. Oh, yeah. Um, and she says, because the uneven acting, real setting, sympathetic yet ridiculous female protagonist a la Love Witch, lots of amusing dialogue and Donovan's song. Mm. Uh, and so that's a uh, fair set of reasons. Um, and I guess just to close off while we're on the uh, female uh, topic, my wife chose um, Heavenly Creatures, mm, yeah. um, which uh, could, she didn't specify a slot, but the fact that it passed the Bechdel test and yeah. that, you know, improves female representation was something too important to her. And of course, you know, these amazing early performances yeah, by Kate Winslet, Melanie Linsky. Or we were talking just Louis before Peter about Jackson, it and because yeah. and, I, I watched it recently again um, on the small screen um, yeah. and it was, it was fantastic. Actually. And I think it's around a 25th, is it 25th anniversary this year or is it another year? Uh, I think it's another year. Was mm. it 90? Was it 90? I won't guess. Um, 94? But no. yeah, but there is this, I, I feel like, yeah, somewhere between 92 and 94 because also we, we got things with a bit of a lag in the States, yeah. I feel like when it came to you know, New Zealand-based films. Yeah. Um, and she said, you know, New Zealand classic must-see and worth re-seeing, and I'd certainly oh, yeah, yeah. agree. And, it, 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 it's really interesting filmmaking-wise because I was, um, it captures Peter Jackson between his kind of really kind of splatter horror yeah, um, yeah. part of his career and then morphing into more of the Hollywood side of his career. Yeah, it's a stepping um, stone I wish he'd step back to. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess his job but is it, to make giant really films so, now. So, yeah. so he's got, like, this... this um, Psych, kind of psychological thriller yeah. um, character kind of psychological character thriller drama um, but he's, he's still using all this kind of camera work that's sort of reminiscent of some of the splatter stuff where you've yeah, got like yeah. these, these two kind of bat insane girls kind of running into a, into a shot with the camera yeah. shooting up and their faces going and then like zooming in and it's like oh yeah it's such yeah. aggressive yeah, filmmaking yeah. the style of it is yeah. so and vivacious and you know it, it and... hadn't quite reached the wedding you know mm. ongoing <laughs> I mean we love you Peter thanks yeah. for listening um, and, but I do I think there is this kind of um, and I promise not to keep harping on about this the whole time but there is this kind of um, evolution that's happened in general over the past few years but yeah. very specifically in the last couple months yeah. in how we think of film yeah. and I think that um I think it's a, a question as to, you know, is the marathon's goal to say kind of stuck in, you know, a late 90s, early 2000s kind of genre fanboy thing that's like, well, you know, these films are about women getting raped and, you know, these mm. sorts of things happening. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter if women are well represented because that's true to the time. I don't really want to go all the way in the other direction where we're watching documentaries like Misrepresentation yeah. or whatever, but finding ways to bridge that gap yeah. in productive ways and well, not think, have it be, you know, because there's been some years that have been very, yeah, you know, rapey wall-to-wall yeah, exploitation. And it's been quite kind of difficult to sit through. Anyway, uh, that's me off my high horse. Let the corpses tan. I did not choose this film at all um, <laughs> because it had a fe female co-director, although it does, Helene Katat and Bruno Frizzani. Uh, it's, a, it's my first new film of the pick, oh, and yeah. it's from the directors of Amare yeah. and yeah. Uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. Or I must admit, it sounded tears. way more um, kind of genre <laughs> thing to me when I when I saw the title. I was like, oh, hey, yeah, that sounds like a good... Uh, oh, actually. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's basically just a... Um, 
Uh, so it's a it's the western of the bunch, and oh, yeah. it's um, essentially it's what it sounds like is a protracted shootout that's happening yep. in the spaghetti western thing, and and they're known for their really heightened sens- sensuality in their films, and so there's like lots of close ups, lots yeah. of attention to sound. Um, their critics kind of say it's actually meant more for a muse- an art piece than a movie theater, and I don't agree with that at all. But it's a very for me, it's a very interesting hybrid oh, yeah. style of genre and um, something much more, um, you know, aesthetically yeah. engaged. And, and, you know, they talk about, like, they're not authentically making a giallo film yeah. as they did in their first two, or in this one, a Western, but kind yeah. of this heightened almost sense memory of the moments that stick with you in making a whole film. I mean... Um, some people might not, not have seen those, but might have seen the ABCs of Death and their Ophel yeah. Orgasm film, and that is, mm. you know, just a stunning piece of work yeah. that you know interrupted this oh, that was parade of grotesquerie and just kind of like, so you know, and Ty West flushing an iPhone down yeah. the toilet or whatever. I, d- I, like didn't, I of, don't think I realized that was him. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So they're they're super special um, mm. filmmakers, and I'd want to show that early in the night again. It's subtitled um, while people are still a bit patient. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my third pick, I'm jumping back in time again um, to a film by a chap called Lou Landers um, called Return of the Vampire. Now, this Never is, heard of it. This is a um, Bela Lugosi um, non-Dracula vampire film. What? <laughs> um, so I want you to play a vampire. Okay, Dracula. No, 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 <laughs> different vampire. <laughs> so the, kind of, the premise of this film, it's set in London... Um, in kind of World War Two, um, because it was shot in '43, um, and uh, a, I think a, a grey, uh, something like a gardener in a in a in a, um, in a cemetery makes a mistake of um, pulling the stake out of a of a, a dead chap. Um, As you do, yep. And uh, and reanimates a vampire. Um, it's unfortunate, um, and uh, Bella goes on a on a ramp from there. But this is I kind of got into this because um, if you are fans of um, Karina Longworth's podcast, you must remember this. Yep. It's your classic Hollywood podcast, which is fantastic. So good, so good. You you really need to listen to this. Um, her current um, season is uh, Bella versus um, Boris. Oh nice. Uh, so it's, um, Bella Lugosi and Boris cut. Um, Karloff, and uh, so looking at their careers and how why one took off, one didn't. Um, looking at the work they were shoved in together and how they kind of didn't really get on, and mm. yeah, and, and uh, so it's a pretty short season, I think five or six episodes, so well worth a, a listen. Um, anyway, this is one of the films she come she points to because um, I haven't seen it either, but she was saying this is one that he is possibly one of his better performances um because he had some pretty crappy ones right <laughs> and, and, he, and he went to the whole you know, poverty row studios for quite a few kind of exploitation films um mm. because he just needed a dollar um he's the one who's in ed wood right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. nine yeah so he, yeah. he clearly yeah, he, he was less than discriminating in his <laughs> yeah 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 and um and at that stage he kind of at this stage i think it was before he'd slipped into alcoholism and and things had gone really downhill he was still kind of pulling out a reasonable performance yeah um, so it, it, it'd be fantastic to see another Bella Lugosi flick that I haven't seen. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. And, um, and, and a vampire flick that's not Dracula. <laughs> fair enough. And um, would you go to dinner now, or would you try to fit one more film in? Ooh, I would. Well, possibly depending on the time. I probably let me see one, two. I'd probably go to dinner. Actually. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, 
So we take a dinner break. You, yep. you can hear me munching on uh, yep. potato chips. And then what would you um, come back to hit everybody with uh, Roast and Carl's Jr. in their bellies? Well. Or the uh, almonds that they brought or whatever. <laughs> I think it's time for a bit of music in our life. Um, mm. I've got um, another 80 film. This one called Rock and Roll Nightmare. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> now, this is, um, if you don't know, it's a rock, rock opera horror. And, but essentially, it's a vehicle for um, concept Canadian metal band Thor. Was it a band or a guy? No, well, John Michael Thor is the lead singer right, of a band called Thor. Okay. Um, which is, he's the lead singer. Yeah. And he's the lead singer and... This um, is sort of like this Dawkins <laughs> tradition where mm. Don Dawkins is... Dawkin. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, and um, people who um, might have uh, remember it, there was a documentary, I think in the strange section of um, Film Festival in 2015 called I'm Thor, which was all about the band. Yeah, I missed it, him. but it's supposed to be really yeah, good. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah, so this is in kind of the height of their stardom and it's just like a a, a real kind of <laughs> a B fantasy rock opera that is more um band kind of madness than it is film <laughs> right yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's a perfect marathon photo really. no it, it is it yeah. is a fantastically fun film and i if and you want to have a um not very uh, intellectually challenging, but very fun night with <laughs> just, your just friends. Just to give you a, uh, a little um, idea of the kind of thing Thor does in his stage show, and he still does it in his 60s, he does the kind of things that you see at Strongman um, uh, exhibitions where he like blows up hot water bottles with his lungs and then to a point of exploding. <laughs> he bends metal bars. <laughs> As you often do when you're playing rock music. And, you know. and you know, has fake... Um, uh, Weapons and smashes things up. They should play. They should go on tour with our Dragon Sound, <laughs> yeah. my, uh, Miami Connection fame, and you know they can break boards, <laughs> yep. even bend bars. Yep. You know it can be everything you don't really want from a music show. <laughs> um, what do you got for number four? Well, uh, yeah. So I I, I was going to break for dinner. I forgot to mention um, that Alistair Ty Sampson had mentioned. Um, two options, one we'll get to later, but he said in the just before dinner what he described as the Krell Last Dragon slot, oh, yeah. uh, Willow, because it oh, uh, Willow. Yeah. selfishly yeah. fits that nostalgia slot perfectly yeah. for me, and that's fair enough. Um, I'll mention uh, another pick that didn't have a time associated with it, which is um, Bevan Shortridge, who said... Uh, Death Race 2000, which is Paul Bartel's oh, 70s yeah, uh, yeah, famous. Yeah. The, there's been yeah. a whole bunch of remakes in recent years, but um, Sylvester Stallone and it's yeah. uh, David Carradine, I think. And um, and he says mainly because I want to see it on a big screen, and that's fair enough. I've seen mm. Death Race on a big screen, and it's super fun, and it would yeah. go down a treat with a marathon audience. Um, mine is a film I've never seen before, um, and it's not actually that nostalgic or fun, but um, there's... I like to see. I, I ideally every marathon I'll get a film that's like kind of a bit gritty and a bit late seventies, early eighties, yeah. uh, kind of New York, LA yeah, yeah, kind of crime, kind of thing. Procedural, um, not procedural. I don't think yeah. it's played by. I'm thinking of The Silent Partner. I'm definitely thinking of Vice Squad. Yeah. Um, and I was briefly to looking to live and die in LA. To live and die in LA, perfect example. Yeah. I was thinking of um, briefly of possibly Roberta Finlay's Tenement, which is a violent oh, um, yeah. film, but I haven't um, I seen, haven't it, seen but that the, either. But I can't get past one that's um, a bit legendary called Night of the Juggler by Robert B- Butler, oh, which yeah. is a 1980 film that um, is I think it's James Brolin, oh, uh, okay. whose daughter has been kidnapped and he's a cop, and so oh, yeah. he's. Going through the streets of New York, and, and it's very gritty. <laughs> it has one of Tarantino's, I think, favorite car chases. Oh, yeah. 
in it ever. Um, and it's the um, classic trope. Well, it is now. In 1980, it would have been a little fresher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's I, I suppose in the post taken era, it doesn't yeah, yeah. exactly um, strike one as original. <laughs> but um, but again, you know, I mean, often films. Uh, you know, I'm I'm somebody who thinks you don't necessarily need so much an original concept as no. an original way of doing it or a way of doing it that feels fresh. And yeah. um, I'll get back to this with my next pick, but also like action scenes in that era are getting to sort of some of the last action scenes where you know that they're they're physical, yeah. they're in real locations, yeah. they probably don't have the safety that they should be. Yeah, yeah. And you know, these days you can watch somebody like in one shot get dismembered and you go, Oh, that's a very interesting yeah. like visual effect. Yeah. But there is a point, you know, and I think about this with like Jackie Chan movies. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh my God, they just, just drove the that, car yeah. down the side of the road, down the side of a hill into a bunch of shanties that people are running out of. How did nobody die yeah. doing this? So, um, that's the reason I picked night of the juggler, mm. um, is, is that visceral kind of, yeah. you know, Same strength thing. of those, crime films um it's also the reason i picked my number five which is going out on a bit of a limb but i think it's a limb worth going out on because i think fundamentally uh survival films and wilderness survival yeah. films fit really well into the copapa of the um yep. marathon now a wilderness film that's russian that's out of the criterion collection <laughs> sounds a little bit like wanky <laughs> but um Lever ne letter never sent by mikhail kalatozov um, is I think it's a 60s film actually it is 1960 and um, it is a black and white story about um, a, an expedition um, and without really spoiling too much about it, about it it's a sort of film you watch and you really don't believe that nobody was hurt in the making <laughs> of it um, it's people trapped in under increasingly perilous conditions and um, despite the fact that, yeah, it's 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 beautifully shot again, black and white photography on that screen, um, but with such a um, even though it's in Russian, and I know that yeah. you know Russian existentialism doesn't have its fans <laughs> at the movie marathon as much as it might in other places. Um, I think that it, it's you know just at that point where you'd actually be so wired by yeah. what's going on that you wouldn't be bothered by any of yeah. those minor details. So that's my number five. Um, again, I thought about The Ascent, which is um, Larissa Shepetko's, which is yep. a similar, um, it's, it's a snowbound survival film, but it's a bit more artsy and transcendent, oh, where yeah. Letter Never Sent is really just, oh, yeah. um, holy crap. But what's your number five? I've my number five, um, which would, I, in my head, is kind of like the Midnight film. Okay, sure. Um, so, I've got my midnight film next, but yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe. Um, and this is um, one of us can't do math, but it doesn't matter who. Ugh. Um, this is called um, Kuso, and this oh, is my God. first new new film. Um, and so this is uh, surreal. What I read, it, it played at Sundance. Yes, please. Played at Sundance, and um, it's a comedy body horror um, made up of four vignettes um, by. Um, music producer, DJ, rapper, Flying Lotus, um, otherwise known Stephen Allison, um, who's an African-American um, music producer guy, and um, sounds like could be... Diversity, there you go. Could be kind of all over the place. It looks all over the place, mm. um, and it's just it looks like looks like it could be good marathon fodder. Um, you 
can never quite know with um, Sundance sort of Minotti picks. Sometimes it is by reputation one of the most pus-filled, um, ugly, um, disgusting films yeah, ever that's made. And it provoked mass walkouts. So um, I'm actually not sure if I would get through it just from oh. the descriptions of it. Um, I mean, it's kind of like... <laughs> so it could be... Yeah, could it's kind of like, uh, yeah, almost like if Cronenberg did a Garbage Pail Kids movie. Oh, um, but, oh that's... Yeah. A, oh. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> what could be, what could, could be the, uh, the, the, the start of a wonderful, awful night run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there, there, I might run a few. <laughs> so yes, that's probably... Yeah, yeah, appropriate analogy there. Um, and what's your um, my next one is probably quite obscure and possibly on the, the worst as end, as opposed of, to all the mainstream films you picked. Uh, yes, possibly of the, the, the worst um, end of um, of uh, exploitative uh, bad gender politics films. It's called it's a film, kind of a film. Kind of. I don't know that it ever made a cinema. It's called um, The Guaranteed Way to Pick Up a Single Woman, the movie. Right. I have memories of seeing this on VHS in the 1980s. With, you don't remember if it came out in theatres here, though. I've um, never heard of it. I, no, it definitely didn't hit cinemas as far okay. as I'm aware. Um, but I presume that there's some kind of version that you can project. Mm. Um, and it's, no, YouTube and a projector, it's, it's, that it's works. Kind, it's kind of like... A, it, it builds itself kind of as a comedy, but it's it's like a the worst skills based video. It's like tr- a training video for work, but for pickup lines. And of course, they that's what I'm going to say how to pick up women. But really, I mean, if you're a woman or a man into women, you could apply this to you. If you're a um, yeah. if you're a um, a man or a woman um, into men, you could. Um, Is this like if I said you had a good body, that. would you hold it against me? Kind of level of. Um... I, yeah, it, it's really bad. It's so terrible. <laughs> but but it not only has these kind of it splits it into different skills, goes through them, and then it has little test quizzes that you can take. <laughs> and, it has, and it has the questions up on the thing, and you. All right. So would you actually hand out like test question questions to the audience oh, so they could, could score do, their uh, could do progress? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. You know that's um, and you could you could change it to single um, men, whatever you like. But it 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 would be a truly terrible and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and very marathon experience. I didn't include any, but I but do love a good mental hygiene film. And yeah. um, this year I watched um, something I highly recommend on YouTube called Surviving Edged Weapons, and um, that which is a very different uh, <laughs> set of problems to yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also recommend for anybody who's um, looking for one, um, the uh, school bus uh, trilogy, Death Zones, which is school oh, um, oh. bus. <laughs> yeah, which it, which basically says don't stand where a school bus might hit you, and um, <laughs> spends thirty minutes telling it with this um, portentous voiceover. Of, yeah, this bus seems okay, but soon. There will be one less passenger forever. Um, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's that yeah, sort yeah. of uh, yeah. thing. Um, um, so what do, you, what do you got for your, for your midnight? Well, I've got one of two real eye-openers. I decided that um, the, the right number of rape revenge films to have in a marathon was one. And I could not choose because there's another new film uh, that I'm really drawn to. 
that played at Fantastic Fest. It's called Revenge. It's by Coralie Fargiat, I think is how you pronounce the name. Right. Um, and it's about a woman who goes on a trip with a few men who is raped and left for dead and um, gets very brutal revenge. Yeah. Um, somebody said it's the most quartz of blood they've ever seen yeah. in a movie yeah. ever. And I feel like if you're going to... I feel like there's if you're going to go into that material, yeah, having a um, something that's aesthetically strong, and, and I can't even find a proper trailer. There's only like this 15 second teaser oh, or anything, yeah. but it's obviously very well photographed. Yeah, um, it's got some strong reviews. It's um, you know has a female's point of view. It has enough strong gore that it's kind of a mm. you know I'm going to be a memorable experience. Yeah. Whether asking people to read subtitles at midnight is too much, I don't know. I don't have I don't have a problem with subtitles, but other no people do. Um, but asking them to read them at three a.m. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> really tough. Yeah, but the other um, film, and I'm so desperate to see this on the big screen, and I'm really, really desperate. And um, I, nobody's brought it here, and um, it had a big uh, re-release in the States last year, and it's called Belladonna of Sadness, and it's a Japanese Ooh, animated yeah, yeah, yeah. rape revenge film based oh, okay. on myth. And um, it's just, you know, one of the legendary jaw-droppers mm. of Japanese cinema, and obviously there's no shortage of those. Yeah. And I have another Japanese film, yeah. and, you know, I suspect it won't be... You know, as sensitive as uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it, it you know, yeah. um, I, I, but, um, you know, I'd love to, see, I'd love to see both those films on the big screen, and I, yeah. and I can't decide, so I'm just uh, throwing that out there, um, and uh, oh, that yeah, because you've done your number six, so yeah. um, I've got this far without a proper horror, although I, you know, you've had a couple, um, and so it's time and. Um, I was hanging on to a direct-to-video one that I is supposed to be legendarily bad that's out on DCP that was um, oh. in early 80s uh, acting class in Britain called Suffer Little Children that's um, supposed to be just one of these treasures of crazy shot-on-video oh. insanity. But um, I then was reminded... Um, of a couple things. One, this is this sort of hour where you're starting to go a little bit sidereal in yeah, your brain yeah. and having something trippy is really nice. Yeah. And then I, um, there's a film that uh, called Messiah of Evil that's co-directed and one of the directors is female, but yeah. also it's an early 70s, psychedelic, you know, beautiful oh, lights, yeah, yeah, yeah. trippy yeah. Um, horror film and pretty much all you need to say is early 70s psychedelic horror yeah film. that's and probably I'm, a pretty I'm good yeah. sold and it's something that people who I really respect who dig deep have um, been raving about for a long time yeah and I think there's now a proper re-release for a long time there was only this really terrible washed out VHS rep yeah. but I wanted to see it right and so mm. Messiah of Evil definitely yeah like yeah. It, given the choice of watching some, something terribly shot on video and something that was gorgeously shot on film yeah seen properly um that's my choice uh mm. for these wee hours that we're getting into so as we're getting to the wee hours where are yeah. you heading well I, I i guess i'm going somewhat mainstream um for b films uh, <laughs> um speaking of um edward I've, I've gone for one of his lesser known films well not lesser known but i mean yeah. it's quite all of his films are quite well known by now but um but probably of the ones that have seen everyone's seen Plan 9 if they've seen an Ed Wood film. Yeah. But not necessarily everyone has seen Glenn or Glenda. Mm. Um, 
I am not, for instance. Um, which is his... It, I think he made it after seeing the Christine Jorgensen story, um, which is something that we wow. saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was yeah, quite a few years back. A number of yeah. years back in Marathon. Um, and so it would be a nice kind of tribute following oh, for yes. that. And also, it, it, it happens to have uh, the strangest Bell Lugosi cameo that you will ever see <laughs> where he he plays this goal so basically your goal is to get as much <laughs> as is that one coming up next the uh, yeah, no. um so so um yeah so this one is um he's he saw this christine jorgensen story and edward was fairly well known uh, uh transvestite um so yeah. he he loved um the feel of uh, angora sweaters yeah um and so he decided he'd make this film um, that was a a way to put this out there for him as a kind almost like as a statement um, and and a coming out of this sort of area of his life that he otherwise hadn't his wife knew about it at the time but no one else really knew about yeah. it um, but no one was going to fund that and obviously Edward had no money and, right, yeah. and he's very low budget so the only people that were interested in funding him was a porn producer. Um, of the time in the 50s so 50s born um, and the only way he could sell it to him was telling by telling him it was a kinky sex film but it <laughs> wasn't really it was like this bizarre right. kind of almost docudrama about transvesticism um, but then cut into it are these bizarre softcore scenes which have no thing and then cut into it again and bookending the softcore moments as Bella Lugosi as a god character philosophizing from on high about people walking around. Um, oh my god. And, like, and, and, like Wings and, of Desire on the yeah, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> but then he also is making lecherous noises during the softcore bits going, whoa. What? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> it's strange. It's very, it's, yeah. It's pretty fantastic. And I'd love to see it on a big screen. That that sounds pretty special. Yeah. Um, and I imagine you have something equally kind of um, well ancient I, and uh, yeah. I, I've got something not so ancient, but um, one that we've both seen on the big screen actually. Mm. Um, a, a, a Russian film by a chap called um, Lutsik um, yeah. from the late nineties called A Kriner, although we saw it as the outskirts. Yeah. Um, which speaking of um, subtitled Russian um, Russian films, yeah. this, this is. This is kind of like it's a, so special. This is a story of uh, the proletariat um, in the in the, in the surrounding you know rural areas in Russia rising up against um, the the government um, you know hardships and uh, trundling their way to the capital to get their right and their due. They yeah. do it on a quad bike, and it's like the way I only way I can think of it is like slow motion slapstick. It um... it's black and white. It well, and it captures the grammar of Russian <laughs> silent yeah, cinema, yeah. but it just starts playing with it, you know. Yeah. And and I and I I've told this story probably in the podcast yeah. before, but I saw it at a Portland Film Festival, and they just sort of described it in the in terms that made it sound like a traditional film temporarily. <laughs> and you know, you see that one of the farmers is going to wake the other one up, yeah. and he slaps him, and he slaps him again, <laughs> and like. You know, a lot. I'm like, wow, oh, that's really, really a lot. And it just keeps... And I can't spoil the ending because yeah. it's, it's just... It turns into a bizarre... It mashes the genre. Like yeah. It's a bizarre action. It's like it almost goes into an 80, 80s action film. 
but in slow motion. Yeah, but <laughs> but sh- as if shot in nineteen seventeen to yeah, glorify yeah, yeah. collective farming. As yeah. there is extended shots of of multiple people riding on a quad bike, just moving up and down. You re- it's funny that of all the things you take away from that movie, it was the quad bike. But of course you do. The, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. I, I, I wasn't particularly as focused on the quad bike as I was just the. Um, Complete insanity of all the uh, rest of it. Um, speaking of complete insanity, mm. um, look, everybody probably has their favorite section of the marathon, and it was interesting yeah. to me that I sent all this out, and nobody really put in mind breakers, you know? Yeah, but yeah. I really love that early yeah. morning thing yeah. where you're not quite with it, and then a movie just completely hijacks you. Mm. And um, I'm thinking of... Um, Night Train to Terror yeah. films like this where you're just like what is going on um, and originally I was going to choose Haosu for this slot or oh, House yeah. the Japanese yeah. film but then um, I decided that my program was lacking in a Chinese film yep. and also it was lacking in Kung Fu oh, and also yeah. it was lacking in a Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff and, uh, <laughs> and also it was lacking in literary adaptation um, and it was also lacking in a film that would remind people of Evil Dead um, and so I chose the seventh curse because it checked all those boxes, oh. and also had a young Chow young fat smoking a pipe. Oh, wow. so um, I've not seen this. Have uh, you seen it? Yeah, I've only seen a bad rip of it, oh. and I've seen it relatively recently. And I would watch it again in a heartbeat if it plays. Oh, and I'm yeah. told that there's a print around, so we'll see. But it is, um, it's special, and it. Um, yeah, I, I, I look, I, Lam Nai Choi. Um, it it just it's just such a genre hot. You know how raw force is. How it's yeah. like kind of like, oh, now we've got this cannibal monks and kung fu and Nazi zombies yeah. and these people, these hot these pirates taking over a ship, and you've still forgotten like half the things in it. It's it's pretty much like that. Oh, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a sort of movie where there's like, you know, there's alien monsters and there's r- rituals and there's. Uh, you know, people's, you know, parts of people's bodies exploding and stuff. It's and it's just, you know, it's one of those films that even if you watch with your eyes wide open at three a.m., yeah, you could easily think that you fell asleep for fifteen minutes at <laughs> points or that you're dreaming it. Yeah, and I think that that plays into that altered consciousness nicely. Yeah. Um. And then after that, I this is the dilemma that you have, right? Yeah. If you can either say. I'm going to program something that I really don't mind sleeping during, or I'm going to program the ultimate in masochism, but I yeah. want to experience it too. Yeah. And so I couldn't decide. So Double down, man. That's what I say. Well, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd hate to not actually experience the thing that I yeah, wanted yeah. to experience masochistically. So the one that I was thinking, like, and was also kind of hit that nostalgic slot yeah. was The Last Starfighter, oh, um, which yeah, I haven't yeah, seen yeah. since I was 13, but oh, it, I haven't seen that it really appealed to me at the time. time. Uh, maybe not, it was 1984, so maybe 11, yeah. Nick Castle. I mean, you know, a kid discovers that being good at video yeah. games helps him save the universe. I mean, that's every 11-year-old's dream. Mm-hmm. And I really don't know how well it would hold up, and I wouldn't want to put it in a... Um, yeah. marquee slot yeah. and have yeah. it die a slow death. Yeah, But, you know, for people who've been struggling with some of the artsy or weirder stuff early on they they might suddenly wake up and be like oh this was my favorite and you know yeah. and i might just kind of pleasantly drift in and out of it um 
the philosophical obverse of that and going for mass maximum audience masochism would be um neil breen's fateful findings and um neil breen at all neil breen is a tommy wiseau-esque oh. auteur who with a much greater level of productivity yeah. a high interest in conspiracy theories and what else um, have you done? That uh, pass good. through I am here dot 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 now I oh, forget there's yeah, four yeah, or five yeah. films I haven't seen any of them I've watched bits of them and he's always like some kind of um, agent who's got like an old laptop that runs like <laughs> Windows 95 that's able of like hacking into the you know thing and you know it's just it 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 is um, and you know he's probably done his vid- visual effects on it as well, um, and he stars and directs and yeah. writes yeah. and um, and it's very hard to see his films. It's not impossible. You can order them from his site, but that's about it. Oh, yeah. um, and so I feel like that's a sort of suffering that would all you know bring us a bit closer together. Yeah, you know? so, um, it would be my. Um, Massive, you know, ideal. I'd have both on hand and read the room and see what we were ready for. Oh, yeah. Um, so where where are you taking us well, to? For me, and this is what I'm thinking of as my pre-breakfast film, but I'm a film mm-hmm. ahead of you. Um, so um, what I thought is after going um, the slow Russian film, which was mm-hmm. really to be a kind of a, a that was a brain destroy everybody yeah, a brain yes. breaker for me. Just like slow everyone mm-hmm. right down, make them read subtitles, give them this weird tonal thing they don't know what to do with, and they're clearly missing all the political subtext um, <laughs> at three a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, so this what I'm getting, following up with next is another. I'm I'm doubling down on the weirdness, but being a little more kind of I guess kinetic and approachable and and, mm. and campy. I'm going with um, with uh, Lear of the White Worm, Ken Russell. Um, now you realize that everybody who is at the um, marathon in like 2008 or 9 has a DVD of Lair of the White Worm. No? No, that was the year that like they threw it, had like dozens oh, of them. And right. Just, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, no, okay, there you go. Um, but I, it is a classic. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Well, I've got a DVD you can borrow. <laughs> um, so does like literally everyone who's probably listening to this. My brother had like a ripped VHS copy of they didn't it. call it ripping in the day yeah <laughs> um a dubbed vhs yes. um copy of it i'm sure they would have hired it from the store and then done mm. um and uh and which i sneaked into when i was quite young and thought what on earth is this and it's oh my goodness there's mm. lots of there's vampires woo-hoo, and, <laughs> and there's nudie people in it. <laughs> and uh yes and i probably shouldn't have been watching it at the time mm. but uh yeah it's stuck in my head um and obviously Ken Russell turns up quite frequently um, at, at Marathon's past. Um, yeah. And I believe um, Listomania was one of those kind of late night... Oh, like, Listomania was so lowest. good. It's, I'd uh, seen yeah. it before, but I'm, I'd only seen a VHS yeah. that was cropped. So yeah. to see it properly on the big screen yeah, was... Yeah. So and that was back to back with Holy Mountain, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's that's my other favorite one too, yeah. besides Night Train and Visitor. But the mm. other thing that I that I didn't realize when I rewatched the um the trailer of it recently was that it has a young Hugh Grant. Yeah, 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 crazy. Mm. Yeah. So so yeah. So that that would be my um my going into the breakfast break. No, that's a yeah. good choice, and um, and then. So, so we all take we all take a little yeah we'll, here we'll, and, we'll, know, we'll, we can sneak we'll over kind to coffee of, club in time yeah and yeah and we go maybe maybe, maybe and... kind of wipe the underarms with the cloth um, mm. get the toothbrush out if you if you've remembered 
um, mm. and visit the much more better equipped um, Hollywood bathrooms, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't feel quite like you need a hazmat suit to go in there. Um, yes, yes, thanks no, to Matt Timpson <laughs> for uh, mixing up the joint and. Uh, and um, yeah, I assume I assume that Ant's thing means that Matt will be more involved. With yeah, I, I would think year, so. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But um, um, yeah. anyway, so after the, it's been breakfast, it's, yeah. it's usually an interesting kind of film after the breakfast break. I, f- I find it sometimes it's a new film. Sometimes it's sometimes it seems a little slow. Mm. Um, and and it's almost like a you get a second wind after breakfast, and then they he just tries to kind of push you your button mm. once more. Um, so I, I'm going for a, for a documentary, um, but right. uh, and. Early, if not the earliest, Daryl Morris, um, The Gates of Heaven. That's his first feature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is um, about a pet cemetery for mm. crazy pet lovers. Um, so <laughs> no, this, you should just introduce it. This is a film about a pet cemetery. Yeah, everyone go, pet cemetery! Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Just jokes. It's yeah. a Daryl Morris documentary. <laughs> and so, Good luck like, surviving that. And, and this is pre, pre, you know, well pre internet cat video um, <laughs> zone where you know these are just people who are super into their pets and they were um and he created an actual cemetery and full on burial services and the whole thing that someone had in this place and Errol Morris um, does his usual style of interviewing mm. and going wow this exists in the world um, Errol Morris is so great he's yeah. got a um, four hour um Netflix series coming yeah, called yeah. Wormwood with Peter yes. Sarsgaard that's um and he's um, he's got something else on Netflix at the moment as well. The B side, which yeah. is okay, but it, I yeah. think it's going to be, um, it's about this photographer Elsa, somebody yes. or other. Yeah. That and um, I watched it, and it's kind of interesting because um, it was more standard than most of his other stuff. I think yeah. in terms of a biopic, almost. Yeah, yeah, and also well, also photographically, um, he invented this thing called the Interatron, mm. of course, and that was like the famous thing where you, he can kind of project his image. Uh, so where the camera is, down the and so people were looking at him, yeah. but at the camera at the same yeah. time, and uh, and so he shot quite a few. He developed it for the first person TV series, and mm. then you know there was Mr. Death and Fog of War and Standard Operating Procedure and all mm. those. Um, the unknown known, and um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. But um, this is apparently relies on that a lot less, and also has dramatic, more dramatic reenactments. Oh, tap, which is actually my favorite of the bunch. But anyway. Um, yeah, I love Errol Morris, and I'd love yeah. to see Gates of Heaven, and um, yeah, I'd love to and drift off to those little guitar solos yeah, yeah, on the yeah, side yeah. of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, it's terrific. Um, I'll mention a few um, other people's films before I go into yep. my uh, breakfast sandwich, as it were, yep. because I have one more film before breakfast. Uh, I forgot to mention that um, a little Nigel would have wanted to sneak uh, Monster X Strikes Back Attack the G8 Summit. And or a little bit earlier, which was a 2008 piece of crap that would go nicely at around the 1 a.m. slot. It's not twisted enough to go 4 a.m., but silly enough to play after midnight. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Nick Smythe has two uh, choices for Just Before Breakfast. One is The silence of, the Science of Sleep, because it's my favorite film and a trippy one to nod off and wake up in the middle Michelle of. Michelle Gondry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can totally see that, you know. It is just like having something that's kind of got mm. that dreamlike... Mm state to it anyway which yeah. you can't quite make sense of and can drift in and out of as good um, or the alternate he gave is The Apple um, which is uh, the oh, uh, yeah. Golan Globus musical yeah. and, and which interesting um, Steve Austin uh, also said The Apple is my absolute dream film to play at the marathon because the core veterans know it and will sing along while the newbies will wonder what they've got themselves into and they'll be left with the score infecting their psyches for weeks. <laughs> and Andrew Todd, who's now moved to Montreal, would actually yep. wear his Apple mm. uh, shirt that he um, 
that have the logo for the BIM on it uh, to marathons. Mm. And so I think there's quite a few people who would um, be keen for that as a pre-breakfast film. Uh, meanwhile, some other people suggested post-breakfast films. Uh, Darren Goebel suggested Rad uh, as the cultural flip side to Rappin' and, and, oh, and yeah, as a yeah. new wave musical palate cleanser to the post-midnight murder thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Rad is a pretty fun film, actually. I think yeah. he might have... Um, had a 16 mil print that I saw. Once. Oh, really? Somehow, I, um, no, I'm thinking of BMX Bandits. Oh, yeah. Actually, my, my bad. Um, Corey Schultz uh, suggested a film that I'd never heard of that he loves called North Sea Hijack. That's a 1980 film with um, Roger Moore, Anthony Perkins, and oh, James Mason. Oh, yeah, that, that'd be quite a um, nice post-breakfast. Yeah, I don't uh, know I don't know it at all, but you've seen it? No, 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 but I'm just hearing the uh, the cast and thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling it. No, I'd, I'd be down with that. Um, Darren Waugh suggested The Car, which um, the horror movie about oh, the mysterious yeah, yeah, car yeah. that, um, again, I've never seen, so I'd, I'd um, certainly support that initiative. Um, and Daryl Jeffries mentioned that for any slot, an 80s swords and sandals fantasy, which we've had a couple of, yeah, yeah. but there's plenty more to choose from. And, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, it sounds like the barbarians yeah, would the barbarians fit, that, uh, fit that, yeah, as well. Right in there. <laughs> um, I decided that it would be a great thing to go into breakfast with a big burst of energy to kick everybody out the door. Yeah. And so I went the natural place you go for these things, which is Uganda. Um, <laughs> and so, um, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the output of Wakaliwood. But um, there's no, a film called Who Killed Captain Alex, which is a uh, film that came out a while back that's, you know, a bunch of guys with machine guns and kind of a Rambo-y kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very low production yeah, values, yeah. but, you know, pushing yeah. After Effects to its maximum. Oh, yeah. Um, and those guys... And the other thing that happens with these Hollywood films is that there's also kind of like this hype track that goes along with it. Yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, it's kind of like they're hyping up how cool everything is while it's going on or sometimes yeah. taking the piss of the film. Yeah. And so their latest film is called Bad Black. And now Nabwana IGG is the prolific director from yeah. Uganda who's responsible for this. And it came out, it kind of came out last year, but it's still making the festival circuit oh, okay. very slowly. I don't really know when exactly it will hit the big time, but um, it has been destroying audiences everywhere it goes. It's like just 66 minutes of uncut joy of, you know, action mm. madness and um, hype, and I think it would send everybody out to the breakfast stores on a bang. And, um, yeah, nice. And then after a night of um, some weird artsy and whatever films, yeah. I thought, actually, it'd be really fun to just... Um, I don't know how it came to me, but I said, you know what? I want to watch The Great Muppet Caper. And oh, I think yeah, just yeah. having a nice kind of post-breakfast, you know, yep. um, fun. kind of... I haven't seen it since I was a kid, I don't, but I don't think they've ever played a Muppets film at Marathon, but I feel like it really fits in I that kind seen of um, yeah. style of, like, something that we all loved, something that, um, you know, that is in danger of being replaced by the new versions. Yeah, but yeah. it's actually just like, yeah. you know, that, and, you know... Something you, that we all loved, kind of, as opposed to... Puffins. <laughs> oh god. Oh, yeah. 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 I I think I think it's one of those things that, you know, either you've seen and you loved or you mm. haven't seen and it'll still be yeah. quite fun and nostalgic. And of yeah, course you yeah. also have all those early Muppets I mean, all the Muppets films yeah. have this raft of guest stars. Yeah. And you won't have known who some of those people are at seven or eight, and so all of a sudden you'll be like, Yeah, oh, yeah. God, you know yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um and Jim Henson shares my birthday, so I've always oh, got but... a soft spot for him. Nice. Um so so what's your um, so just to just to clarify, we've come back from breakfast. Yep, yep. We've endured gates of heaven yep. or loved it as the case may be. Enjoyed. We loved it. Oh, I, I loved it. I'm just saying that not everybody is like 
documentaries about pet cemetery. Kind yeah, of yeah, true. So I, I'm going to go into um, uh, a new a new film, um, mm-hmm. which is my second of two, um, which is I guess kind of moderate to low numbers for new films. Um, I think. Yeah. Have they ever done only two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but normally there's kind of three. Yeah. Sometimes four, but there's one. Yeah. I mean, I remember one year yes. there was seven, but they've got really yeah. pulled back from that, which is good in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going, but the new film I'm looking at is, um, is lucky, um, uh, which is, um, by John Carroll Lynch and it's, um, Harry Dean Stanton's penultimate film. I thought it was his last, but he's actually got another one in post-production at the moment, I think. Oh, okay. Um, posthumous, obviously. And John Carroll Lynch is the, um, Marge's husband in Fargo, right? Yeah. yeah. And this is his yep. first film? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Okay. Um, and yeah, so this one is, um, it sounds like it was kind of almost purpose written for Harry Dean Stanton, mm. um, cause he's playing a starring role, which he, aside from Paris, Texas, he mm. virtually never does. Mm. Um, and famous character actor and obviously passed away this year. Um, so yeah. I thought it'd be nice to have that film. Yeah. Tribute as a, as a screening tribute. is always something that's, um, um but it also, it, it also includes co-stars David Lynch. Um, oh really? Yeah. Okay. And they're good friends. There's a yeah Harry yeah. Dean Stanton yeah. documentary that I got out of the library called Partly Fiction. Yeah. Which wasn't that good, but it yeah. had David Lynch uh, on yeah, it. And so that was the best part. Yeah. yeah. And um and Ron Livingston, who um, I know from Band of Brothers and a few other things. Office Space. Yeah. Yeah. And more and more recently, actually, he was um in James White. He oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um. Uh yeah, so that that looks like it. Um, it's a kind of uh. Existential dramedy, so it's um that typical kind of what you think of Harry Dean Stanton doing in films, um, right. adding a little kind of existential kind of oddness and offbeatness. Um, and, I actually had, um, but with a with a bit of comedy in. Yeah, yeah. I had Christina on my short list as a uh, oh, yeah, tribute yeah. screening, which is uh, another Harry Dean Stanton yeah, nice. vehicle. Get yeah, on John John Carpenter's Christine. Christine yeah. Um, but yeah, it didn't make the cut in the end. Yeah, so so I thought thought that'd be good for for a new film. Hmm. And then what, you, what did you uh, follow that uh, one up with? Okay, so my next one is, um, this is purely from my childhood's um, psyche, is uh, 1971 post-apocalyptic, uh, now uh, IMDb calls this a sci-fi action thriller. I call it a sci-fi horror because it was a film that gave me <laughs> weeks of nightmares, um, unknown, um, and it's um, Boris Segal. And have you seen it as an adult or no? I haven't really What's the film? You should say that first. Boris Seagal's The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston. Um, right, because that's the last man on Earth. Yeah, yeah, thing, it's right? a post-apocalyptic yeah. thing where a plague is right through and this guy, uh, Charlton Heston, lives in this kind of gated sort of rich man's house and he goes out in his car during the day and collects up um, bits of food and stuff from yeah, yeah. Um, deserted towns and supermarkets finding... And then has to try and get back by night because at night there are actually some survivors, but they're mutated and they're yeah. almost like zombie type people who are trying to track down living people. Have you seen Vincent Price's Last Man on Earth? Uh, no. I think it's a similar story. Oh, and of okay. course, I am legend. I yeah. think they're all based on Richard Matheson. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, as a kid, I oh. saw this um, late one night on a sh- on on TV and I'm not sure what, what my parents were thinking. <laughs> but, like it wasn't built. It's not built as a horror, but it freaked the crap out of me. Like this, the the main dude, uh, main sort of um, post-apocalyptic horror dude, has these weird eyes. He's obviously got some sort of um, some sort of um, contact lens sort of 
thing happening on his eyes that make him look real freaky. Right, and yeah. I, was, I think I must have been like seven or something when I saw it, mm. and I just weeks and weeks of nightmares. I am. Um, I actually had an idea once of getting some friends together and doing a marathon of the films that traumatized us because yeah. I got Poltergeist oh, in wow. the um, DVD. Yeah bender over there which i haven't been able to look at because i it traumatized me as a kid and then i was like i should really face this but it's just sitting there because i just the clown and that person's face melting and the meat crawling and just like and um and i was talking about this with steve chow who is like you know oh american werewolf in london uh, sorry steve if you're listening i forgot to ask you what you'd play but um yeah but you know and so i think that'd be amazing to like sit with a bunch of friends and just watch them slowly (laughs) tick off their re-experience their childhood traumas <laughs> one by one i think that i think everyone should do that is it yeah. yeah this does seem like mm. a strange thing now that i look back and i think this seems like a strange thing to have been traumatized by but no no it is yeah. it, does, it has some scary moments i i feel like i've watched it in the past 10 years and mm. um that it's a bit um wooden and full of yeah. pest and ham but, yeah yeah um but also in that kind of marathon situation it's yeah. kind of a total film that fits um Go, so my number 12, um, which would come off the Great Muppet Caper, is um, I had a lot of trouble choosing the tribute screening because it's I, been, you know, there's been a lot of deaths this year. You know, you yeah. know you've got Sam Shepard, you've got yeah. Tobe Hooper, you've got George Romero, is, um, you've got William uh, Peter Blatty, who's either The Exorcist three or The Ninth Configuration, I, would make amazing choices. There's a lot more. There's Roger Moore, of yeah. course, which I don't know if Corey intended that, but that was one. Yeah. But um, I just couldn't look past Jonathan Dummy. He's yeah. um, a filmmaker who actually, you know, I'd seen a few films by... And I've been intently watching a few more since his death. And the more I see, the more I'm really taken by. Even films I never thought I'd like, like Philadelphia. Mm. Like, he just brings so much to with his naturalism and sense of detail. And, of course, he's also interesting. Have you not seen Philadelphia? I hadn't seen Philadelphia. I hadn't seen Rachel Getting Married. I hadn't seen... I still haven't seen Rachel Getting Married. Quite a few. Um, It's not bad. Yeah, no, it's very good. It's very good. I recommend it, but... It's not one I'd pick for Marathon. No. Um, but, you know, also um, Demi got his start with um, Roger Corman. So there's things oh, like Caged yes. Heat and um, yeah. Citizen Band. And, I, I, you know, there's a lot of early yeah. films that I don't know a lot about. And I thought about Caged Heat, but, you know, the woman in prison thing. I'm like, mm. oh, it would fit, but I'm going to try to do a program that's not so, mm. like, women in prison-y, mm. exploitation-y. And so instead I chose Crazy Mama, which is a Cloris Leachman oh, um, yeah. crime caper. <laughs> um, and um, so, so it's kind of a you know road trip yeah. crime on the r- yeah. run, um, and it just sounds super fun. And again, you know, it's kind of in a mm. slot where you know you're getting to the end of it, and you know you maybe want some easy chewing for a bit. And yeah. um, and it's it's it'd be a nice rarity that not many people had seen, but that's from somebody that, I mean, between Stop Making Sense and Silence of the Lambs, in and yeah. of itself, almost every you know and. Part of me thought, well, what if you play Stop Making Sense? And it, and it's hard to believe, but there are people who don't like talking heads, and I don't know what they're, what's wrong with <laughs> them. But, you know, um, fair enough. But uh, And so that, that would be the danger of playing any concert film. But I feel like with something like this, it's like, well, even if it turns out to be a bit of a damp squib in some ways, it's still like, you know, mm. a chance to pay tribute to mm. one of it. I, I mean, I think Demi's clearly one of the all-time yeah. and has, greats, um, even if not every when film. When you start watching a few of his films, you just realize how diverse his, um, his talents yeah. were. Oh, really Something Wild, that was the other one I oh, saw yeah. this year, which would make great <laughs> marathon fair yeah. as well. Something, something Wild's one of the great films, mm. um, just full stop. 
Um, it's probably my favorite dummy. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I'm going to... This year, uh, p- uh, yeah, and there's two philosophies here. One's to roll them easy into the end, mm. and the other is to have one last challenge. And I'm going for one last challenge, and it's a it's a holy grail film for me. And mm. um, it's one that I've seen, but not entirely. Uh, anyway, okay, that's complicated. Let me simplify. It's called Phase Four. It's the only film directed by Saul Bass. It came out in 1974, and it's about uh, a pair of scientists who are going to the desert because ants are building some kind of structure there and cool seem to be um, intent on taking over the Earth. And so it's a, it's a slow burn sci-fi of, yep. of the, um, to paraphrase the immortal words of Charlie Kaufman, the battle of man versus ant. And um, it's slow burn sci-fi. Um, it's stunningly shot. Lots of great microphotography. Um, really out there soundtrack. And so it's going to be super transportative at that time of yeah. day. The reason I want to see it here um, is because there is a print out there that has recently been found that played Melbourne um, not too long ago that has uh, the long, unfinished uh, ending that was shot for it that is... Um, this extra extended psychedelic sequence that was kind of like, mm. if you imagine like 2001 Space Odyssey ending before the whole like, you know, Jupiter and the Dawn of Man sequence, yeah, yeah, yeah. or Jupiter and the Beyond the Infinite, excuse me. Um, it's that kind of level of psychedelic freak out. And as far as I know, it's not available digitally anyway. And so I could only see it on film. Wow. Um, I'm desperate to see it on film. What year is it? 74. Okay. Uh, And Saul Bass is only... Saul Bass is the guy who did all the title art for Hitchcock films and some of Scorsese's greats and stuff. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. Um, And, yeah, I just love that um, film so much, but... You know, there's this tantalizing holy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like yeah, if yeah. one of your favorite... Like if the American astronaut, you found yeah. out there was this eight deleted yeah, minutes, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? It's like, where can I get those? You mm-hmm. know, it's like, meet somebody with a 35 mil projector who will yeah, import yeah. a print. And Matt, we're begging you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't you take it over the line yep. and then I'll take okay. it over the line with other people's Okay, choices. so my, my, um, my penultimate um, film... Um, is jumping back again. And this is, uh, this is not an ease out and it's not a big challenge it's almost mm. like a jump back to the start really mm-hmm. um and then i'm going for a, a, a black and white um 50s film this one's called edge of the city and it um stands out as being uh interesting for the time it's a, about a cross-cultural relationship um it's a drama of kind of blue-collar workers starring um sydney poitier a young okay. sydney poitier and john cassavetes Right, oh, as cool. co-workers who are who are kind of get this rough friendship going, and then they end up sort of having to stand up for each other in, in some dire circumstances that that happen. And it was um, directed by. And this is a film you've seen before? No, no, just oh, okay. one that I heard about. Okay. Um, and I've never seen um, or heard of it. It was uh, directed by a chap called Martin Ritt, who had mm. worked previously in TV and had been blacklisted. So I'm always interested in the work that comes out of that period by people who mm. are blacklisted. Um, that seemed to have kind of um, so this one um, he was blacklisted in, by the TV industry rather than the film industry um, as a, he was a writer director in yeah. television um, because there was allegations that he um, supported the Chinese Communist Party or something I think um, but um, 
uh, he, you know, they, they blacklisted writers often make stories um, about kind of what, are, what, yeah, what, are, what are the powers, um, what are the, the, the kind of negative consequences of the powers of our country, um, possibly. And, and this one is about, you know, cross-cultural relationships. And one of the big things with the blacklist was um, people supporting um, African-American or minority rights um, was a no-no in the Huac yeah. era. And so they would blacklist people if they felt like they were mm. pressing those agendas too much. Well, Martin Britt, I knew the name was familiar and I just looked him up and he did The Front, which was a Woody Allen um, led um, drama about the blacklist. And so mm. Woody Allen is a... Um, is a front for blacklisted writers in mm. it who's writing for them. And um, I think, uh, yeah, and it's it's obviously the most pointed of... Because yeah. he also did The HUD with, yeah. and Norma Ray and some films yeah. that I should have seen but haven't that have um, quite a bit of reputation. Sounder, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I was just, yeah. I was quite keen to see um, Sidney Poitier and John Cassavetes in a... Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting mix of uh, energies yeah. there. Yeah. And... Um, so now we're, 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 you know, at mile 25, yep. you know, we're reaching the end. Well, so we've got one last film to get through. The, uh, traditionally, the last film was not always, but often a kind of a 80s, 90s action kind of throwback, a bit of energy, a bit of a, mm. like a last hurrah where everyone go, whoa, at the end, you know, and you might, you might get something with like Arnie or, um, or John Claude Van Damme or something like that, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so, uh, but this one, I, I went for something a little kind of off kilter just because I really wanted this in, the, in my program and I wasn't quite sure where to fit it um, so this is a newer film but it's um, I don't know if it's a directorial debut but it is um, a film directed by Nicolas Cage I don't know and, he directs things and I don't know that he directs things <laughs> <laughs> but he directed this <laughs> and it's called Sunny okay. it's from 2002 it's Nicolas Cage directing a young youngish James Franco and Mina Savari um, and it also happens to have... Does he um, star in it? Um, James Franco stars No, I mean, Nicholas Nic- Cage. No, no. He's not in it no. at all. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if he has a cameo or not. Okay. Um, but um, it also has Harry Dean Stanton as well, oh, okay. which is another nice throwback. But, um, but it's about... James Franco is um, a soldier returning from war who um, was brought up in impoverished circumstances and his mother had raised him to be a male prostitute. Um, or that's where wow. life, life had led him, and so coming back from the from the wartime, he and then he got drafted. This is World War Two or Vietnam, or um, I'm not 100 sure. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he comes back and um, and he's trying to escape his former life, and his mum has other ideas, and it's <laughs> kind of a bit of a, a kind of a a crime drama slash kind of psych um, uh, psycho relationship thriller. Yeah, and typical Nick, Nick Cage. I think the the madness that we think of as being Nick Cage performances has been channeled into this directorial effort. Right, and you haven't seen it. You're no, just no, I just heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sounds incredible. I yeah. mean, there's um no shortage of Nick Cage movies that would fit in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, a marathon. From, yeah. Uh, do, we haven't got Vampire's Kiss yet, have we? Or did we? I haven't seen it. No, yet. we got um, Vamp. That's yeah, right. Yeah, but, um, Vamp was. I, I really yeah, like but, but everyone yeah. else was was that no, keen on it. I'm pro. Yeah. I'm pro. Definitely. Um, so before I give my last one, I mean, as you say often, the last slot is for a fan favorite, and there, yeah. you know, I mean, there's been a few that have been really, yeah, special for me of that kind of like. Oh, this is a film I love. It's on big screen, and I know this, and I can drift in and out, and I won't feel bad. But I'll be up for the things that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple people who I talked to picked uh, 
films for the end that were uh, for that reason. Um, Alistair, uh, the other film he had mentioned was Alien. And he said oh, Alien yeah. because motherfucking Alien. Mm. And I think that's um, an yeah. incontrovertible... You know, you can't argue with yeah, perfect that. In, in yeah. Film. Um, Glenn Blomfield uh, said, uh, and by the way, congratulations, Glenn, on your team winning uh, 48 Hours uh, mm-hmm. Saturday night. That was uh, great. Congrats. But um, said Big Trouble in Little China is oh, yep. a film, yep. uh, which is interesting because it's a film that's never... I've only seen once, and it didn't really strike me, but it was one of those kind of put on at two in the afternoon kind of things. Yeah. I'm... And, um, you know, as Carpenter goes, it's like, compared to Thing or Assault on Precinct 13 or Halloween yeah. or Prince of Darkness or They Live or Escape from New York, it just, you know... That's that's a... Possibly where it hits you. Like, that was, the other ones, I some of them I hadn't seen, some of them I had, but Big, Big Trouble for me was one of those ones I saw in cinema that I, was yeah. just great fun as a young... Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it'd be great to see with a marathon crowd. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, I'm certainly not going to complain if it comes on. And it's also one of those that, like, mm. on a second view... Like, I haven't seen it for almost 20 years now, oh, so, yeah. like, giving it another look, like... It might be like, uh, you know, I mean, everybody has films that they see yeah. once and they're like, eh, and then you see it a second time. It's like, what was I thinking? This is the best film ever. Um, I'm also going to quickly uh, clap through Dave Bro's list because yep. you did give 13 and that's a pretty amazing Good turnout. Um, big inhale. Number one, Charlie Varick, 1973 uh, crime film uh, directed by Don Siegel starring oh, Walter yeah. Matthau. Yep. Number two, The Wrath, a um, car film from 1986 directed by Mike Marvin. Starring Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Yep. Number three, Orgasmo. Not the um, <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone film, but the 1969 film by the deceased Umberto Lenzi. Who, that's his tribute for this year. Oh. Umberto Lenzi also did uh, Nightmare City, one of the zombie films. He's yep. got quite a... I think he did another one of the cannibal films. He's one of the great Italians. Mm-hmm. Um, Mixed Blood, which is a uh, 80s uh, interracial action New York film directed by Paul Morrissey, who had did Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood oh, for yeah, Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Um, Phantom of the Paradise. I probably don't need to say that that's Brian De Palma, but I will. Um, it's one of those... Uh, again, that's a film that I don't get, but I've only seen once, but yeah. everybody raves. So... Um, um, Number six, Neon Maniacs, which um, looks amazing. 1986, Joseph Mangine. Um, no budget horror with... Yeah, it just looks yeah, I don't know that potentially incredible. Um, I Was a Teenage Zombie, oh, yeah. another 80s film. Dave's into the 80s films by John Elias Michalakis, which I think is kind of a parody of 50s films. Mm. Um, Saturn 3, which is a 1980s Stanley Donen film with yep. Carly Keitel and a color, color yep. robot. I've never seen it. Um, Larry Cohen's amazing 1972 Bone, which fits for me in that kind of fight for your life yeah, sort yeah. of race relations gone bad kind of film. Uh, Breakfast Break, The New Kids, which is a 1985 Sean Cunningham film, I think, uh, horror film. I think he directed one of the Friday the 13th, and it's also like a, this is kind of like a teen horror thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Jeff Lieberman's 1977 Blue Sunshine, which was his, um, uh, it's kind of a people takes this experimental drug and it drives mm. them crazy. Uh, the film noir, um, the Spiral Staircase from 1946 by yeah. Robert Siodmak, yeah. and ending with um, Dolph Lundgren vehicle from 1996, Silent Trigger, directed by Highlanders uh, Russell Mulcahy. I have not seen that. I have not seen that either, and in fact, I have seen precisely two of these films. No, <laughs> three, excuse me. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's the thing I love about this yeah, exercise yeah. is. Um, you know, everybody has their own take on what the yeah. marathon is and what it can bring. And, um, but, you know, they kind of 
what has happened up so many years over the programming is everybody has really strong feelings about what the same films are. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's very, very few films that actually achieve that level of uh, consensus. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and so for picking an end film with consensus, um, and I wanted to get back to this female director thing as well, mm. um, but I also want to get back about a teensy grudge that I have because... Um, uh, there's a film that I was going to put on in 2010 or 11. I was at home. I bought the DVD used. I'm like, never seen this classic film. Everybody raves about it. Strong vampire film. Female director. I got to see it. And then Aunt Thompson's like, oh, you might want to wait for that. And I'm like, oh, you're going to play it at Marathon. It did not play at Marathon. No. <laughs> it did not play, play at Marathon for the subsequent six years. No. Um, <laughs> and yet I still keep holding out hope. And if it's not this year, I'll put in the bloody DVD and finally watch it. Near Dark. You haven't watched Catherine it. Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, I have still not watched. Wow. And in the year that she's put out Detroit, it seems like a great chance to look yeah. back um, three decades prior, because it's a 1987 film. It's, it's and, iconic. Um, and Bill, you, you, and Bill you, Paxton, who yeah, recently passed yeah. away as well. well you, you know I love I mean, vampire films. Yeah, yeah. It's just like another... You hate horror, but love vampires. Yeah, I know. And, I don't understand. It's a strange take on it as well. Mm. Like it's a... It's a Kind of cool. I actually watched the trailer like today, which I've never seen. Because it also has this western kind yeah, of yeah, vibe yeah. It's got like that. to it. It's like a western vampire. Well, it's, film. it's kind of like in um, small town farming com- community with these this family of slightly this family of vampires, yeah. right? But it's also like, it seems one of the least glamorous vampire films I've oh, ever yeah. seen. It looks more like a zombie film from the makeup than the vampire film. Yeah, yeah. Year. They're just kind of like these deteriorated rather than like you know. Oh, I want to suck your blood. Yeah, yeah, there's, you know, there's you nothing know. European. Yeah, there's yeah. There's no kind of interview of the vampire sort of vibe to it at all. Yeah, yeah. not at all, you know. And, um, you know, I mean, we talked she about... She does a fantastic job with it. Um, yeah. And, um, I think, I think to me, that in terms of this whole kind of vibe that I had about trying to get female representation, to have a film mm-hmm. that's an undeniable genre masterpiece yeah. directed by a woman that, you know... Nobody is going to feel like, oh, you know, it's. And we I wanted and to include a female. And film, I heard that so she, um, this, but, she yeah. kind of, um, and you probably heard as well that um, she sort of was one of the times. Was it was after or during the um, relationship with James Cameron, where she was able to kind of grab uh, a couple of the actors from Alien, uh, Aliens. And so that'd be about like, the timing because they were in nineteen eighty six. Yeah, because yeah, so, like Lance and Hendrickson, and Bill Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. Yeah, um, I didn't know that that coincided with it, yeah. but that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just going to throw out a couple of the other names of female. Um, if there's anybody who does want to try to put that, together that would their be a own... fantastic end film. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think I think it'd be super great yeah, to yeah, yeah. see Cause, that because it's not it's not it's got that kind of like light horror vibe, but it's more mm. kind of it's horror, it's action. Yeah, it's more it's sort um, of more sort of know, interesting and yeah. energetic. Like it's not it's not artsy or anything like that. But it's yeah. Well, that's well, yeah. That's what's great about Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. She always keeps the energy yeah, yeah. going. And you know, you could argue for Point Break in that slot as yeah. well. Oh, but yeah. um, and you know, in some ways that'd be a cruisier out. But yeah. I feel like everybody kind of knows Point Break, Break a bit better. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's a bit too kind of. You know, it's been processed and, you know, it's in yeah. hot fuzz and, yeah. you know, and it gets referenced and remade in a way that um, Near Dark hasn't. You had another um, idea for one that I thought also thought was a fantastic Oh, yeah. Choice. So there's a few other female films, but um, the one that I, I would equally be happy with, 
although I've seen it before, is uh, Punisher Warzone. Oh, yeah. And, that would uh, be a Alexi fantastic. Alexander. And, you know, it's just... Um, I only caught up with that. Um, it came on Netflix. Um, oh, right. I've got the Blu-ray. I should have it to you. Just oh, right. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the way I describe it to people is you have a director who's an MMA fighter who um, can bring that verisimilitude in it. Like, yeah. she brought up the scene where he, like fixes his broken nose with yeah. a pencil so, yeah and so she takes this iconic character and remakes it for that yeah. and then it's shot by a dp who is clearly watched suspiria way too many times yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you have just this brutal action film yeah lit like a 70s italian, italian horror, horror film. film yeah and you're just like this is like everything i want out of genre movies yeah and it's like it's still i love dr strange a lot but it's still probably my favorite marvel movie and what I, what I so, liked about it was that, that it, um, one of the things that it does, you know, like you say, it does it embraces, to a degree, its kind of comic book origins. Yeah. So it, it has that kind of that camp and that kind of silliness to the characters and plot, mm. but it's so brutal, and mm, yeah, and and yeah, and shot really kind of um, like with with great kind of vision and mm. and artistry. For a brutal action film mm. that that is sticking to its that is not kind of trying to divorce itself from its comic book silliness. Oh, yeah, because if you see the trailer, because yeah. um, Netflix is just yeah. about to put out a version of The Punisher, mm. and it's very much that kind of like tough, gritty. Yeah, know, grim. You know, I've got lots of stuff, and it's re- guns, and it's really grim, and you know, it looks and it's like, almost like kind of a little po-faced, you know? It's like yeah, and it's just like God, let's just have fun with this. Shit, yeah, you know, it's like I didn't read. I mean. I'm not trying to criticize comic books that are serious, yeah. but it's like, that's a fucking Punisher, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. not bloody war and peace. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, have, you know, embrace the fact that it's meant as pulp. Yeah. Treat it as pulp and do the most amazing version. Yeah, of it. yeah. Um, some other quick titles for um, female films that I'll, female directed films that I'll mention. Um, Lizzie Borden's early 80s Born in Flames, which is sort of this crazy sci-fi... Um, near future transmission that's stunning. Um, Doris Wishman's Bad Girls Go to Hell. Yeah. Um, Terminal Island, which is a, I think it's Stephanie Rothman. Uh, females taking over a island where they've been held prisoner. Um, I mentioned Antonia Bird's Ravenous before. Um, there's a Chinese director named Anne Hui who's done a couple. Yeah, I know Anne Hui. Ghost yeah. Um, yeah. films, and there's one called Visible Secret that looks good, and. Um, Alice Lowe um, did Prevenge, which um, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think has well, ever I haven't played seen. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that that again, she was in uh, there were, there Sightseers. Were, there were a few people Warren, kind of yeah. um, kind of picking that for a possible secret screening at, uh, at um, yeah, yeah. At there was film film festival. I was actually I was yeah. I, either that or May. I actually settled on Mayhem, which is another film mm. about office uh, mm. mayhem, but. Um, Anyway, God, we are nerds. <laughs> but so are a lot of our friends, and we're all going to be sweaty yeah. little um, are, people. Are, are there still tickets available? Was, I think there, there might be. There are still tickets if available. If you happen to be listening to this, and... Um, and somehow you, you've listened to All This Way without having... Um, purchase tickets? Yeah. To Marathon, which seems unlikely to anyone who might listen to us. Oh, uh, no, there's Zealand. a couple of people in Wellington who uh, I know will listen who probably won't go. Yeah. Um, but, you know... Um, it is, I'm, I'm actually, uh, our friend Tim Wong, who used to edit us at Lumiere Reader, oh, yeah. will be joining for the first year oh, really? this year, so we'll have, um, some new blood. It's, wow. it's super fun, and everybody's 
warm and inviting. Yeah. And if you don't like something, go to sleep and wake up in an hour and a half. Um, we we'll promise not to drop. <coughs> I um I can't I can't I can't get behind that. I'm a, I'm a firm. You stay awake, <laughs> and not because yeah. Okay, no, I just I'm, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a, down with sleeping. I'm not down I'm with sleeping a, I'm at a, all. I'm a firm. Choose the film to fall asleep during, or you won't get to choose. And you'll regret it. I've head nodded a couple of times in a couple of films, and yeah, but you literally didn't sleep. But but I've I've never slept through one of the, a marathon film, and and if I do, I will be so ashamed of myself. Mm. Yeah, mm. I, I have no, <laughs> dude. I slept through Miller the Stone Woman, and it meant I was bright awake through Night Train to Terror yeah, and the true. Visitor, and all my friends were drifting off during the Visitor, and they're like, "What was that?" I'm like. It is like the best oh, one ever made. Oh yes, you know. Yes. So and and so yeah. So now it's just like I can understand sleeping through middle of the stone one, but I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beach yeah. Red was a similar one. You yeah. Know? Um, yep. I, well, I well just, do I remember? Yeah, I just I just feel like you know. Mm. I, I mean, you know, great if if you have the stamina, but you yeah, know, it's like make it the event you enjoy because you know but, only but happens once a year on that, on, the, on that thing if you're coming to the Auckland Marathon um, I don't, do they still do which is the only one this year oh, not okay, for yeah. ages okay um, there is um, an espresso machine uh, run by a good friend Derek um, yes that goes through the night so yeah. in breaks you can get um, a double shot uh, short black if you need it or you can just keep which drinking water um, and eating apples um <laughs> <laughs> if that keeps you awake at 4am good on you apples and chocolate there you go <laughs> anyway um, so you, you I'm sure we won't record before the uh, marathon yeah. so if, if anything you've said is interesting see us there and if you have a strong opinions about whose program's better share it with us on Twitter I'm Dylan yeah. Monster and he's Jacob Bunny Jacob Bunny and until next time this is Doug this is Jacob and that was Best Worst Podcast cheers